This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And away we go. Topics worthy of discussion brought to you by Pizzaville, pound 3636. It's the Friday edition. Joining us as per usual, the Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo, Minister at Trinity St. Paul Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts, and the former NDP MPP for Parkdale High Park. How's Sherry? I'm well, John, and how are you? Likewise. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Stephen Holiday is with us, the Deputy Mayor and Counselor for Ward 3 at Tobacco Center. How's Stephen? I'm doing fantastic. Good to be here with you and uh, watching the end of March break, the last day for all those kiddos. <laughs> all right. Listening to the show, right? Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy it while you can. Hey, by the way, uh, being in Ward 3 at Tobacco Center, I guess uh, you were heartened to see that I guess the federal minister in housing, uh, Jean-Yves Duclos, was in, in town with the mayor. They made a big announcement. Uh, was it yesterday? It seems like it was. 259 units subsidized. Uh, for folks, you know, this is what they were saying is part of the, the liberal initiative and maybe more to come with the budget on Tuesday, but uh, making housing affordable for folks in Toronto, 259 rental units, uh, not at uh, the lower base, but, you know, somewhere in the middle, but it was still uh, a break to get people into the housing market right there in the midst of your ward. How do you feel about that? It's pretty good, eh? Right up the street from my place. But it, hey, you know, did you say it was an election year? It's an election year. <laughs> so uh, these are the things that we see in here. Um, not necessarily something that I was involved in. In fact, um, the building's under construction, and I'm pretty sure it was approved back in the mid-90s when my dad was counselor of the ward. And so whatever's happened between the federal government and uh, this developer, there's been some, uh, some I guess, a, a provision of a loan to create affordable housing. I think the thing to note, though, is affordable housing is different than social housing. And I know uh, we've received some calls with some inquiries about, you know, what is this? And uh, it's a process that the government does to support um, the, the cost of the rent to get some people out of social housing and into something a little bit more stable. Uh, but needless to say, the details are unfolding as time goes on. I'm not sure it's a great physical change for the neighborhood because this building was going to be there. As I said, it was approved mm. a long time ago, but we'll watch it. As the counselor in the ward, uh, were you there at the ribbon cutting? No, I read about it in the paper. What? That's the way these political announcements work sometimes. Really? You're the counselor in the ward and you had to find out... Like reading about it in the paper. I did say it was an election year. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Not my announcement. All right. Well, uh, the mayor happened to be there. Uh, I don't know how they excluded you. But anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. <laughs> how politics works. It's a strange animal. Uh, speaking of strange animals, I want to turn to, uh, obviously, the uh, biggest story of the day in the last 24-hour cycle. I mean, it's heinous stuff that uh, happened down there in New Zealand and... Uh, Now, we're being told that uh, this guy was a white nationalist and white supremacy. Uh, He may have been prompted by Trumpism, as Senator Blumenthal from Connecticut said. Conrad Black responded by saying that's a great slander on the president uh, because he was only mentioned, I think, quickly in a passing reference in the 74-page manifesto. But, uh, Sherry DeNovo, when it comes to understanding such heinous acts, I mean, you're a woman of the cloth. It may just be prompted by evil evil resides in the universe and maybe or is there something more at play here 
Well, certainly uh, it is an act of evil. Um, it's a coordinated act of evil. It's not the act of one deranged individual, apparently. Uh, and it is an indication of the rise of Islamophobia and white nationalism. There's no question. We've seen the Quebec mosque attacks. We've seen attacks throughout the states on various issues. And, uh, you know, it is a reflection in part of what's you know happening and not happening at, at the highest political levels. I mean, you know, with the, the so-called Muslim ban that Trump brought in, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, if you ban Jews from coming into the country and then saw a rise in anti-Semitism, one could say, Yes, uh, there's a link there. Well, we have seen a rise in anti-Semitism. We have, in fact, seen a rise in it, but it's the same people, right? Oh, is it's it? the same white nationalist. Uh, is it? A- absolutely. This is where it's coming from. Well, I'd be and, careful there. Statistically, uh, that's not always uh, well. It, it, it actually there's a there's a, several documentaries that are you know on the tube now on Netflix that you can check out called mm. Alt Right and others, which will show mm. you the extent of the rise in white nationalism and groups that monitor... I'm just going by statistics. I'm just well, going by... Gr- rather groups than, you that know, monitor this have uh-huh. said that it, absolutely there's a rise there. And and they, they, they're they feeling their oats, and they're feeling their oats because they think they have a president, whether, you know, true or not. Right, but let me ask you They think then. they have a president on their all side. All right, so that's the impetus in this case. But if I took a look at, I don't know, a snapshot of equally heinous acts, uh, Boston Marathon bombing, uh, the Pulse nightclub shooting... Uh, in those instances, uh, what would you say that was prior to Trump? What gave rise to that? I mean, this is all part of that same spectrum, isn't it? Well, certainly he got elected, and and certainly well, you know there is Boston there is predates you know, him by several years. Yeah, true. But I mean, there is and there always has been that element. I mean, we, this is this is true that going back to the 30s. I mean, they filled Madison Square Gardens with n- Nazis. You know, we right. recall before the Second World War. So there's always been that that element. But I think it's very important what comes out of politicians' mouths. Um, we. We saw this senator in Australia, not just in America, but Australia, responding. The senator Anning and and almost blaming Muslim immigrants for their for for their own demise here. I mean, it's that kind of Islamophobia that really has to be held in check. And our Muslim, uh, you know, brothers and sisters feel it. I hear about it as as a person involved in faith communities. There's no question it's out there. As is the rise of anti-Semitism, and we should be vigilant. All right. Uh, well, you know, and some people have actually offered up this afternoon that, you know, there's persecution against Christians in Muslim lands, and therefore this is a reaction to that, and so it's a chicken and egg kind of a scenario. I mean, I don't know what gives rise to this kind of thing. I think at the extremes, you've got nutcases coming from all quarters and uh, acting on evil impulse. But, uh, you know, if I had to ask you for a root cause here, Stephen Holiday, what you think where this is derived, what would your best answer be? Well, there's a lot of bad people out there and they prey on people that, you know, maybe are social misfits or have mental health issues where that would predispose them to rise to egging on to do very bad things like this. You know, part of it, I blame, is social media and the Internet because that is a tool that begins to facilitate these conversations, to coalesce this information, to form these views. You know, and this is a really extreme case here uh, where this thing was streamed live on the Internet. Right. You know, I posted it on Facebook. I want to tune out. I want to make sure that I don't see this. I don't want to participate in that. You know, and I guess it it does rise the the question about, you know, the role of social media and how you compare that to mainstream media and how that they're not regulated and this content is allowed to flow. And I wonder if there maybe needs to be stronger rules in place. We hold media to high standards about the type of things that uh, broadcast, including what we're talking about today. 
Um, maybe there needs to be some stronger regulation in this unregulated field to stop the facilitation of this type of stuff. Heck, do emergency drills on how to shut off these video feeds when they discover them. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, in practical terms, how do you do that? Look, uh, there are people live streaming as we speak in various ways and forums, mm-hmm. you know, weddings. What, are you going to tell them they can't live stream? No, I, I, but I think uh, Stephen has a very good point there. I mean, and, and Facebook um, should be held to account for this uh, and because they themselves said that they, you know, have a policy about stopping that kind of uh, video streaming um, of violence. And yet it took hours to get it down. There's something wrong there. They're not eyes on. And and, and I think uh, this is, again, a, an issue with, with Facebook. So um, at some point, they have to be held to account. And, and there doesn't seem to be a, a holding to account of Facebook for, for that kind of, uh, of, of behavior. You know, yeah, I'm just this is not the first time. How could you do this in practical terms? <clears throat> I mean, it's in real time. And to your point, Sherry, it was several hours later when yeah. they were alerted to it. I don't think that they were hesitant in saying, well, this is a freedom of speech issue. Uh, they would have curtailed that. I'm, I'm thinking in all good well, conscience. Well, they have AI, they say, that, 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 that trolls constantly the content and that shuts it down automatically. But clearly, it's not working well. Clearly, the, you know, the screening pr- processes that, that Facebook have are not working well. And they should be held responsible for that. I mean, how horrendous that must be if, if you're, you know, a family member of the victim and you're seeing your loved one being killed in live time. I mean, think about the ramifications of that. And so so I, I, I'm sure they're scrambling as we speak to tighten up their systems, but um, absolutely uh, more needs to be done. Well, and to your point, Stephen, I mean, that the guy uh, decided to take it upon himself to live stream he had the gopro i guess on his helmet goes in there and uh decides you know he wants to i don't know is this narcissism of a type or a glory in the act or uh amplify the terrorism besides being sick i suspect it's there to incite others this video got out there it lives on i'm sure it is living on somewhere in the dark corners of the internet and there are people that will see that copy it think it's normal behavior as abnormal as it is. And it's this type of stuff we uh, that if we see on the computer, we got to shut it off. And if you've got kids that are seeing this type of thing, you got to shut it off and break the cycle. And, you know, that's just the general concern I have with unregulated media out there, um, that this stuff is allowed to live on and somehow be perceived as normal, but it's not. All right. Uh, well, you know, if there's a way that we can tamp these kinds of things down, obviously, uh, we're really at our wit's end, or at least I am, uh, when it comes to extremism. Is it eternal vigilance, again, that we have to uh, monitor these groups, even, uh, you know, up the ante and say, shut them down, maybe curtail certain aspects of speech? I mean, this is really a dangerous, you know, we're on a slippery slope here, Sherry DeNovo. you willing to go that far? Um, well, we do have laws around hate speech. Um, we have freedom of speech, but we do have laws around hate speech, and they're there for that particular reason. And um, and again, to Stephen's that's point, incitement. there are there there are you know <laughs> there are millions of people following some of these folk out there on on the on the web, and that should concern us all. It really should concern us all. And uh, and again, uh, it's the responsibility of I think the the, the servers is the responsibility of Facebook in this instance to do something about it. Um, to make Make sure that this does get shut down as quickly as possible. Um, obviously, it's not going to be instantaneous, but it has to be as quickly as possible. And be more, much more vigilant about what what gets through and what doesn't. Okay, but, but again, here, not to put too fine a point on it, but mm-hmm. by way of example, for, you know, when this guy's screed, his 74-page diatribe, uh, suggests he's anti-immigrant, 
let's just say uh, someone were to write an op-ed piece or a blog that says, you know, the Trudeau policy on uh, allowing open borders when it comes to refugee claimants and so on and so forth, is that perceived as hate? Does that feed the maw here and instigate these uh, unstable types? Well, first of all, Trudeau does does not have an open well, whatever, policy on refugees, but, but just to be, be clear with that, but I mean, uh, um, you know, uh, absolutely this freedom of speech, and, and it's only freedom of speech if it's freedom for people we don't agree with. There's no question about that. But there is an extent, when you start inciting violence, when you start saying, you know, um, you know, you should go out and kill, you know, Muslims well, sure. at prayer, clearly you've gone beyond the well, bounds of what... Well, that's over. That's obvious. Yes. I, I'm just but, saying... Yeah. Does this lend itself to, uh, you know, creating some kind of uh, impetus for people to act out their resentments because, you know, they're free expressions out there that may be controversial opinions? I mean, where is that scale? Well, to me, the courts can decide, you know, where the line has been crossed with free speech versus hate speech or something that's not right. But to me, whoever's hosting it on their server now owns part of the problem. So if these media companies are not clear about what it is that crosses the line, then I point the finger to them as well because they allowed it to exist out in cyberspace and they facilitated the crime. And uh, they may not be the sole responsible person in all this, but they are part of the issue. And so if, if it comes to the point where they uh, don't allow it to be posted till their lawyers look at it, fine, so be it in, in so many cases. It's not like these people have a right to use these services to go and hang their document out there. They are services owned by somebody else, and they bear the responsibility. All right, we'll come back in a moment, and uh, we'll switch gears. We'll talk about another controversial issue. It has to do with changing the curriculum in uh, Ontario schools and the public school system. We'll put it to our panel, the Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo, Stephen Holliday, in a moment on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. All right, back at you with our panel topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636. The Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo and Stephen Holliday. Sherry, I'm going to ask you about this uh, change in the Ontario sex ed curriculum. I was talking earlier uh, to the minister responsible for the announcement, Lisa Thompson, and then by way of follow-up, Tanya Granick-Allen, who as a social conservative had issues with the original, if uh, we can call it that, the 2015 iteration that uh, Kathleen Wynne brought in, uh, where some things like gender identity were being taught in grades as early as grade two. And uh, it seems like that may have prompted Doug Ford to want to effect a change. Certainly he ran on that during the election. And here we go. This is what we've got, or it's coming out uh, in full flourish May 1st. will be implemented in the fall uh, school year. But uh, gender identity uh, is going to be taught as part of this new sex ed curriculum in grades eight rather than grade two. Whereas before it was grade two, and I'm thinking, wow, that's a pretty big leap. Six-year difference chronologically. Uh, I mean, Tanya Granick allen wasn't even keen on seeing gender identity being presented as part of the curriculum. I'm guessing you see it as a necessity. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are trans children who know that they're trans, uh, you know, when they're four or five years old, that I've met those children. And as the author of Toby's Law, which brought trans rights to Ontario, that law was signed on to by Christine Elliott, um, among, uh, you know, and, and a liberal member at the time. So, I mean, the, the Conservatives are well aware, and I think this is probably in breach of, of the Human Rights Act, because children need to know that they're okay. They need to be told that they're, you know, they're normal. Um, we have trans folk who have a 50% attempted suicide rate, 50% poverty rate as adults. I mean, and, you know, 
huge amounts of bullying and suicide rates are higher for LGBTQ students. We've known this for a long, long time. Um, this is not going to help. Now, the good news is clearly she's been, you know, pushed back by a, a lot of parents who who rose up and a lot of students who rose up and demanded that she change uh, the curriculum. So that's good. The other good news is that teachers are going to teach in the best interests of their children, despite what the government does. And they are. Um, they're making sure that their children are protected. And so hats off to all, all those teachers who are doing what's best for the students and not, not what's best for the government. All right. Well, a few points on that matter, mm-hmm. uh, because parents still have the uh, chance to opt out should they feel uncomfortable that their kids are having to, uh, you know, learn these things, whatever uh, that might imply. But I'm just curious, gender identity. So you're saying there are kids as young as what? four and five? Absolutely. I was just with one on Saturday, Stella, who's who I've watched grow up, who knew that she was a girl as, uh, you know, as soon as she knew anything. Um, and so many what, what like you're that. arguing for grade two is typically like six and seven year olds. You're yeah. saying it was appropriate, age appropriate in grade two? Absolutely. And I, and, you know, quite frankly, this is, this is good science. Um, is uh, it? Folk, oh, absolutely. There have been trans folk with us, two spirited people in indigenous communities. Trans folk are in the Bible. Uh, I mean, wow. they trans folk have been with us since the beginnings of time. But that's not the science um, you're citing, is it? Th- well, that, th- I'm just telling you, this has historically been a reality. Mm. And certainly in the psychiatric and psych- psychological community, there is absolute consensus that this is not is a theory. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, well. This is not a theory. This is a reality. Trans folk exist. Um, they have rights under the Human Rights Code, both federally and provincially, which conservatives were part of bringing in and should be acknowledged and should be respected. But help, help me out here, because sure. the gender identity question is, if somebody identifies, you're saying, uh, you know, you could still be physiologically the male, but identify as a woman. It doesn't necessarily imply that's a trans uh, iteration, does it? Well, that is a trans person who is born in the body that does not fit with, and they've all, you know, studies have shown that the brain chemistry, even their brains are different. So, I mean, again, um, you know, this, but the core issue here is protecting children, very little children, from the consequences of bullying, consequences of hatred, the consequences of lack of information. All right. Well, and yet some parents are uncomfortable. Stephen Holliday, I mean, the idea that the government decided to include it still in the curriculum, as I say, social conservatives may not be happy with that, but they've, I guess, effected some kind of balance here. And instead of though teaching it in grade two to the kids, it's grade eight. How do you feel about that? Well, I got three kids at home probably listening to the radio right now, and I'm thinking about the conversation I got to have when I get home. <laughs> uh, a, a, a bit tongue-in-cheek, but there is some truth to it. I mean, these are really complicated subjects, and uh, kids are really complicated, including when they're pre-puberty, right? The, mm-hmm. the body goes through changes, the mind goes through changes, and I don't know how I would explain to my grade one child, uh, you know, what trans means. What I do take from Sherry that's very important is children's self-confidence and self-image are some of the most important things that we need to worry about at that age. And to the extent um, that kids can be reinforced and supported so that they grow up healthy and socially um, they're comfortable within the class and conflict is reduced, perhaps these subjects should be broached. 
But as a parent, I don't really have a problem pushing the bulk load of, uh, of um, gender identity discussions to children that are in the puberty stage are a bit older in grade 7 and 8. I, I mean, I'm okay with that as a parent. But the thing about this whole sex ed discussion is that it's a Pandora's box. You ask 50 people about how it should be done, you get 50 different answers. So I think this is going to go on for some time, and I think the government's even admitted to that, that it's going to take several years to sort this out. It is not the number one conversation at the dinner table. I still see myself as a parent that needs to edu- educate my children, and the school will sort of help with that, but that doesn't mean I can pass the buck to somebody else to have the conversations that need to be had at the right point in time. Well, I could stand an education on some of these things. So, Sherry, I just wanted to pivot back mm-hmm. to you. Since you're saying trans kids know as young as age four and five, mm-hmm. there has been a celebrated case. I'm thinking it was out west or in the state somewhere where the child basically uh, decided and a judge approved that uh, the child could undergo uh hormone therapy treatment against the parents' wishes. And in this case, uh, if you've got a minor, and I would think that there'd be parental discretion, but that was waived in the interests of the child. Did that judgment make sense to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the interests of the child, I think, are are what is at stake. And But if a uh, six- or a seven-year-old comes and says, I believe... Well, you know, it, you know, I mean, that's a little young, and I think that child was a little older than that. But, but there is a question about puberty, um, and that is that it's much, much easier on the body and the psyche, I would argue the soul, um, to uh, for trans children who know they're trans to start taking um, measures before they hit puberty. And this is, uh, again, medically backed up. We have a gen- identity clinic at sick kids that sees little children um, they're not the only one now women's college uh, there th- this is this is a, an issue where children are getting help from their doctors and from the medical community um, and parents need to be educated about this too there's no question it's education it, it, you know for parents as well as children but for all those p flag parents out there love you um, who are parents of uh, LGBTQ children who know they're LGBTQ um, it's usually the the children who tell their parents who they are and you know what their sexual preference Differences. And it you, and it almost always starts um, if they're given the opportunity and the support before they hit puberty. Stephen, so there was an, that was an interesting case. I remember reading about it a little while ago. I think there's a key in here. The decision I think was less about rights and the law as it was more about the child's safety. And I, if I recall, there was a bona fide threat of suicide in that case. That individual was having a lot of trouble, and if this therapy didn't go through, at least the belief of the doctor, that child could take their life. And, you know, I, that's a tough job to be as a doctor mm. to make that call. At the end of the day, though, I still think we have um, laws in Ontario that govern, um, you know, the difference between informed consent and the age at which you can do that. And I defer to those laws, but there are situations in particular, you know, when, you know, someone's life could be in danger if they don't do this and a parent is overriding that, the doctor's going to have to make their ethical call, and um, they did what they did. Well, you know, we could go on this uh, tangent for a while yet, because I remembered another case where I guess the child, uh, still a minor, it was a custodial battle. Mom favored the hormone treatment, dad did not, and uh, anyway... (laughs) This is where the judge decided in the mother's favor and granted the kid the hormone. But I think the father's appealing. Let's come back in a moment. There are other issues that I wanted to address here while we still have time to the top of the hour. Topics worthy of discussion with the Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo and Stephen Holliday on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Back to our panel and topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636. 
with Stephen Holliday, Deputy Mayor and Counselor for Ward 3 Etobicoke Center, and the Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo, Minister at Trinity St. Paul Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts. You know, we were just talking about the school curriculum, sex ed specifically, and how it's uh, paramount to look after the interests of the children. Well, here's another one. Uh, the story of vaccinations or the anti-vaxxer movement, for some reason, has gained some contemporary currency. Uh, they're growing, and the health authorities are beside themselves. They can't understand. I mean, there's this herd immunity, but it doesn't work if, you know, not enough people are getting vaccinated. So at the end of the day, uh, I was reading an item today where one of these uh, health authorities, I can't quote exactly who it is off the top of my head, but he did say specifically that uh, in the case of vaccinations, they ought to be mandatory. And if parents don't accede to that or concede that point, uh, they run the risk of ceding their child to the child welfare authorities for temporary guardianship. And uh, this is in the province of Ontario, the guy was talking. So Sherry DeNovo, does that make sense to you? Mandatory vax, otherwise the kids are taken away. I mean, I think that that's a bit extreme, um, but well, there's no question that vaccinations are necessary, that they work, um, they and that, uh, well, what we're doing now, or what, what I hope we're doing is not allowing them into schools if they aren't, uh, we should be doing that more if they're not vaccinated. I, and this, is, you know, this growth, I remember when I was, you know, in our constituency office, we would have parents coming in quite frequently asking to opt out of the program. We had information that we would give them and, and ultimately we just said no, because this is a public health issue. We were talking about deaths. You know, if you look at the stats up to 1980, there were about 2.6 million people who died of measles around the world. Uh, after vaccinations, 2014, 73,000. Uh, and probably this, the 73,000. Okay, so what you're saying is the evidence is in, the, the science is irrefutable? The evidence is in, the science is irrefutable. This is like arguing with somebody about a flat okay, earth. Okay, but this is you where know? we get uh, at the extreme. This uh, medical practitioner was saying, or, you know, health official, uh, if parents don't... Uh, vaccinate their kids this ought to be mandatory then the kids uh they're putting it's a form of child abuse in effect and therefore they ought to be taken temporarily from the family i mean that's pretty uh, coercive on the part of the state are those extreme measures necessary given that you know if we have epidemics that are starting to rear their heads again that's even much for me and i'll tell you i had two out of my three kids in this week getting vaccinated because i believe in that Look, people have crazy ideas about things. I know people that don't use microwaves because it nukes the food, right? It's it's radioactive. I know somebody that doesn't eat ice cream because they're afraid they're going to get sick. So I, I fit this, this whole movement into those categories. Mm. But people truly believe it. Like, uh, like Sherry, uh, I have people that come to my office to swear an oath um, for various things. And, and the one thing that I will not take an oath on is um, an opt-out of vaccination because it runs contrary to the policies of Toronto Public Health. You know, we we have, uh, you know, an approach to vaccinating people in our society. The parents that want to skip out on this, they should be well educated about what the diseases look like and the, the risks that their children are under if they develop some of these things that they're getting vaccinated for. Well, then what do you make of this, uh, I guess, three of the top members on the council that regulates the chiropractors in Ontario have come out with statements, public statements against vaccination. And now they're uh, sort of being taken to task and uh, whatever, but they made these statements. And so I'm wondering if the governing body of the chiropractic profession uh, ought to allow their members to do that or, you know, 
shut them down. Is it irresponsible on their part, Stephen? Why on earth are chiropractors giving advice on vaccination? So if... if uh, Well, if, they think there's a more holistic approach, I guess, to wow, preventing disease. I, I'm not sure I'd want to go to that chiropractor. Like I, and, and so for that reason, I'm sure there's other people out there, and for that reason, I think the college really needs to look at their leadership, if that's... I think they're in that position... And I don't know, do they need the boot? I mean, do they have the confidence of their college? Those are legitimate questions, but... Uh, well, the college, know, is regu- it regulates the profession, and this is why the health ministry says, well, we can't really intervene. Well, they're sense? running it back now. From what I've from what I've read, they're they're kind of unsaying a lot of what they were saying. But but having said that, <laughs> um, you know, absolutely, this is outrageous. Uh, it's outrageous. These are these are health prof- they should be health professionals, and this is clearly not based on any evidence. Um, and they should be taken to task for it. And I have to say, the other people that should be taken for task is is, is information. So I, I looked when I saw this topic. I looked on the Ontario government's website, and you know the heading. If you Google it, is miss uh, about vaccinations, and then when you go to the site, there's nothing about miss there. And it's a terrible site. Um, the video that they've been forcing parents to watch is clearly not effective. It's not changing anybody's minds. We need to do a better job at educating parents, and we need to to do it. Um, uh, certainly, uh, the government needs to, to kind of pull up its socks on this one too. Yeah, it's funny yeah. because uh, what you mentioned is parents who want to opt out of vaccinating their kids to get into the schools or whatever, they're uh, given a, a video, a presentation, which apparently is supposed to sway them and change their minds, but the conversion rate is zero. Nobody's actually changing their minds. Wow. It just uh, further impresses upon them that their position is the right one to stake out. I, I, John, I'd say, look, I, I'm not interested in having classes run by the government. I agree. If somebody's made up their mind, the only thing that you could, maybe the family doctor should have a conversation with them and say, why don't you talk to XYZ person whose child died from, uh, you know, uh, measles or, or uh, meningitis? Sorry, that's the that's the one I'm thinking of, mm. right? Serious illnesses where people die. Hey, speaking of class size, last order of business, I wanted to ask because this dials back into the curriculum changes that have been brought forth by the Ford government this week. The average class size uh, for grades 9 through 12, this is in secondary school, going to be adjusted up to 28 from the average of 22 right now. Not insignificant. That's about 25, 30% increase right there. Uh, the union is already signaling that there's going to be a battle royal over this, the inevitable conflict, they're calling it. Sherry DeNovo, I talked to the minister earlier. She said, uh, you know, other provinces usually uh, have this. And so they're going against that as the standard. And uh, I wondered if it would compromise their education. And she said, uh, no, she has no inkling of that right now. No empirical evidence to suggest one way or the other. But I guess it's a, a case of wanting to save money and no jobs will be lost except through attrition. The union is, as I say, uh, apoplectic about it. Do you support that idea? Well, first of all, both, you know, the, the Catholic teachers and uh, the, uh, the public school teachers and uh, are both, they're both saying the same thing. Both unions are saying the same thing, which is that they're going to lose teachers and that they, these are job cuts. These are funding cuts. Let's not make any mistake about that. They're funding cuts and they're cuts to the educational experience of our children at the end of the day. That's the reality. And uh, and and it, it's nonsense to think that it's going to be anything else. And this from a premier who said when he ran that no job would be lost. Uh, he made promises to that effect and those are broken Well, they're promises. not jobs. Jobs per se, because through attrition, you know, over four years, there will be teachers, you know, grandfathered out of the system. 
So I'll ask you very quickly here, Stephen Holliday, I mean, changing it from 22 to 28, uh, and given that, you know, in the, that cohort, there's a averages. lot of absenteeism anyway. That's right. It's it's about averages. Look, I, I got kids in the school system. I'm not losing sleep over this particular change. I think you called it. This is more of my visualization of the Hanson brothers and Slapshot tape and tinfoil <laughs> of their knuckles. You know, there, this is a showdown probably for a fight that's coming, and this is, you know, one of the early shots. Oglethorpe. Uh, <laughs> it, it could be that. All right. And so for the intermediate grades, four to eight, uh, there's only one extra student per class size. It goes up to 24 and a half from 23.8 or whatever. Over the broad sweep of things, I guess they break it down to that fine decimal point. No issue there, Sherry, or do you still have a problem? Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, the number of students is why people will take their who have means will take their children out and put them in private schools because of smaller class size, among other reasons. And uh, and you know, so again, it's a very cynical move. It's a, it's a move that's going to affect our our education. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, and they know that, and they know that it's going to mean job losses. Uh, whatever, however you 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 pretty that up, it's going to be job losses. And they and so again, pl- this plus the attacks on parents of of, aut- of children with autism, this doesn't you know bode well for the next election for the Ford government. We're Does not bode well, well. Still three years and change away. Finally, Stephen Holiday, Sherry DeNovo, the Blue Jays are offering discounted beer, five bucks for the small beer at their games. They uh, now. This is sort of a a special promotion and $1 hot dogs on six different nights. Smart marketing or a sign of desperation? Hey, fantastic. I was at a game last year with my son and I looked at one of those gigantic $14 beers. I'm like, no. No, mm. not touching that. But you know what? Mm. A little 355 mil can at 5 bucks and a couple of hot dogs to go. I'm pretty happy. I thought beer was supposed to be a buck of beer well, under the new government. There you Everywhere. go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bought that hook, line, and sinker. You brought them in in your backpack, didn't you? <laughs> Sherry, I thought you knew better than that. I appreciate it all uh, coming in. We missed Michael Giles caught in traffic on the DVP today. Uh, we'll see him next week along with Sherry DeNovo and Stephen Holiday. we hope. Have a great weekend. Want to thank everyone for making it another great day and week for Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.